We've been uh, discussing uh, what I'm saying are four really important questions. And I hope you got them now. What are they? The first question is, is there a God? Second question, what is this God like? Third, what does this God expect of me or require of me? And fourth, what can I expect from this God? I really believe that most all of the issues of our lives revolve in one of those questions. When things happen, we begin to ask the question, well, why did God let this happen to me? That often is because of our expectation or our view of the character of God. We think, well, you know, bad things happen because you did something bad. Is that what you can expect? Is that the concept that you have? So, or that, or, or things happen in life and you thought, well, I didn't think God would do this. I, I thought he'd do that. And so these questions seem, if you will, in my judgment, to be what kind of revolve around. So we've been asking this uh, question here, or the questions that matter is, what does God expect from me or of me? Now, again, we're not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about God as some tyrant. But uh, I do think that in relationships, any kind of relationship, friendships, marriage, uh, you know, wh whatever, uh, there are some expectations, aren't there? I mean, when you have a friendship, you expect your friend uh, to be there when you need him, or, or you expect your friend to be interested in the things that interest you. I, uh, we took a trip some years ago, and I think about this friendship expectation. I remember uh, we, I was pastoring in Louisiana, and Wayne and Linda Bolenbacher were living in Houston, and they came over <clears throat> because they thought, I'm a fun person, and no, nobody ever thought that. <laughs> <clears throat> they they came over to see Becky and uh, <laughs> yeah. Becky and Linda had lined up a trip for us to go to New Orleans. That's the way you say it too, New Orleans. See, not New Orleans. You say you're not from around here, are you? Um, or we go to Lafayette in uh, there down in Louisiana. Stop. Anyway, uh, so uh, we we made this trip to go to New Orleans, and then we were going to take. Uh, like the the Southern Mansion tour, Oak Alley, and I'm I'm embarrassed I remember this. Uh, all these beautiful man, you know, like it's pretty pretty stuff. Anyway, uh, I think they expected me to be there, <laughs> and I explained that. What I mean was, um, I was pastoring a church, and we'd gone on a vacation. I'd already been gone some, and I had some things I was working on and needed to deal with, and. I think the best you could say was I was physically present and emotionally absent. <laughs> um, I, I think they should have expected me to have been a little more cooperative. Uh, I was also on a pretty strict diet at that time. And I remember I somehow influenced them with my powers that every time we ate in New Orleans, we ate at Luby's Cafeteria. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Looking back on it, I, I see the error. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they expected uh, Commander's Palace, Cafe du Monde, a couple other, you know, a couple of places I've heard about there. You know, it's not that big a deal. Uh, uh, and, and, and I remember as, as the vacation, I don't think they thought it was a vacation. <laughs> the time went on. Tension mounted a bit, uh, and um, uh, I was just preoccupied, you know, with what my life, what I wanted to do, what I needed to do, and just wasn't engaged. And 
So then we start going to these beautiful mansions, this thing called Oak Alley. You've probably seen it settling where these oak trees form this beautiful but kind of way into the, to the place there. And I think I saw those trees. I was doing some work, you know. And uh, at the end of the little trip there, uh, I think this was it. Uh, the, the fact that Wayne and Linda are friends is a monument to them and that we had to work this out because they said at the end, they said, now after viewing this and we went to a couple other ones and, you know, see all the antique junk uh, stuff. <laughs> That's why I was absent. <laughs> all the antique stuff. We're looking there and they said, now out back is a pet cemetery. And we'd go and I said, we're not going to a pet cemetery. We're going home. That was not the right thing to say. Boy, when we got home, did I get it from all three of them. Well, they had some expectation. I think, you know, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that I would, you know, relent on a couple of restaurants, which I didn't. I used to not be as fun as I am now. I, I'm really enjoyable now, uh, if you believe that. Um, but, but the kind of the expectation they had were, cer were certainly dashed, and We've worked on our friendships since then. And, and, but, I mean, there are expectations in friendships, aren't there? And there are the thought of what, what a friendship looks like. Well, in a relationship with God, there, there are, could be some expectations or some, some thoughts. That, and this is what a relationship with God looks like. So what I've said or suggested is that what God expects from us is for us to embrace our creaturely status, to embrace it, to not fight it, to, to, to embrace that we, in fact, are creatures and not the creator. And, I, you know, we all talk about this all the time, that one of the great struggles that we all have is control. We try to control things. We, we don't, we're not willing to, in some ways, let go. Uh, I, I've said that before, I, I don't know how old you were, but I could just about remember uh, when I realized that control is an illusion. <laughs> Anybody with me? Yeah. And I say to people, how old were you when you finally realized control is an illusion? So absolutely, something could happen to you right now, or something could, you, you know, you don't have a lot of control. Uh, so, so the idea of embracing our creaturely status seems to my, in my judgment, the essential thing God wants us to do. There, there are, if you will, details about that. But for me, at least, over the years, I thought, this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to quit trying to be God. He wants me to quit being a functional atheist, not, not, not an intellectual atheist, a functional one, one that lives as if there is no God, not one who doesn't believe there isn't a God, one, one who functionally operates like that, where I'm trying to be God. And so I, I think this, this idea of embracing our creaturely status, so how do we do that? That's, that's the next, I'm burning through this. So how does one embrace their creaturely status? How does one do that? Uh, well, there's lots of things we've talked about. And if you're interested, all these are recorded and up on the website uh, uh, to, to do that. And, and I'm suggesting, or I have suggested, a couple of ways, or the two ways that I see in the Bible. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to your table of contents there. to That's the fir first pages, so you can uh, find it. Or if you've got a tablet or an iPhone, get off of Facebook here for a minute. And... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm no idiot. I, you know, I go to class and see students. When I see students doing this in class, you know, and they're looking at their tablet, their computer, they're going. I say, you're not listening to me, are you? <laughs> see, here we go. Go to Mark chapter one nine fifty in my Bible. Mark chapter one. This is these are the recorded words of Jesus, his first sermon uh, when he began 
his ministry in John or Mark chapter 1, verses 14, where we'll begin. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, Now after John, <clears throat> John the Baptist, who had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom <clears throat> or the rule of God is here. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good translation of basileia, the idea of the rule of God. It's not a territory, it's not land, it's the rule of God, wherever the rule of God is in the lives and hearts of people. Is at hand. And then he says these two words, repent and believe. That's it. <clears throat> repent and believe. And I'm suggesting <clears throat> that these two words at least are the beginning spot for us to begin to embrace our creaturely status. It's on your outline there, I believe, that the first thing here is the place of repentance. We've already talked about that. We've discussed it again if you're interested. But I want to suggest to you again the basic bottom line on this is metanoieo, or the Greek word for repent, means to change your mind. About what? <laughs> About who's in charge. Who's in charge? Me or God? <clears throat> Repentance is fundamental. It's not crying or it's not promising. It's not, it's not a lot of other things that are associated with it. Repentance is fundamentally, my mind has been changed. I've been convinced. If you'll listen to that again, we talked about not being convicted, but being convinced that God is God and I'm not. And that that's what repentance is where he's in charge. Then the second word here we looked at or we're looking at is believe in the gospel. To believe in the gospel. We, I ended there last week kind of in a hurry. And I want to just uh, touch base here on this uh, idea of believing in the gospel. Believing in the gospel. Uh, first of all, you'll notice here, I've got the word here on your outline, believe. Whew, you're going to get a headache here in a minute. Look at all those blanks you filled in. <laughs> Don't get excited. <laughs> uh, this idea of believe in the gospel. Now, the, the, the Greek word for believe means to trust or have confidence or to rely on. To trust, to have confidence, <clears throat> or to rely on. A lot of people like the word instead of, instead of believe is the idea of trust. It's a more personal idea. I, I, I'm trusting you. I'm, I, I'm, I'm depending on you. My, my confidence is in you. And as we trust God, we experience life in him. Now, this word believe, I gave you last week a couple of, couple of ideas about it. I want to I readdress it. You know, sometimes after I get through teaching, people will come up and say something to me, and I say, why didn't you say that in class? That's a good idea. So if you think of something good, speak up, all right? Um, but in, in, in processing thing, I thought, you know, there's a couple of things I really felt like I kind of ran over too quick, and I, and I just want to give a little attention here uh, to this. And uh, so I want to, so th this, this understanding of, of the idea of belief as trust, relying on, depending on another. It's me, that's me embracing my creaturely status because I'm not believing or trusting in or depending on whom? Myself. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean you know, I'm not depending or trusting in myself. I'm saying I'm depending and trusting in Jesus. I'm that's my reliance. That's, I'm embracing my creaturely status to say it's smart, it's wise, it's, it's to be desired that I would trust in another. Now, we have to come to the point of that. So that's me embracing it. Now, when I think about that term, I think about an example here. 
uh, to make it like, let me, let me uh, give you this uh, picture here. <clears throat> this is a guy named Jean-Francois, I probably messed that up, Gravelette, or from Texas, Gravelette. <clears throat> yeah. I've never heard of this word. You've heard of this guy probably. He went by the name Blondine. Uh, he was the most spectacular. I'm gonna, uh, this is a word, okay? He was the most spectacular fun ambulist. That doesn't look like fun to me. <laughs> That's the word for a tightrope walker. Fun ambulist. Tightrope walker. And he was famous for his walk here across the Niagara River area, Niagara Falls. In 1824, he uh, decided that he would go across Niagara Falls on this tightrope or whatever you call it, this wire uh, that was stretched across. And on 1859, he decided that he would promote and tell everybody, come to the Niagara area, Niagara Falls area, and I'm going to walk across uh, the, the rope or the, uh, the tightrope. The Niagara Falls Gazette published this and said it was a hoax. And they were mad when he went away and went to another news, newspaper, the New York Times. The New York Times said Blondine was a fool and he ought to be arrested because he was putting out posters and handbills for the excitement building for him to walk across there. The railway companies laid on special trains and thousands of spectators assembled to watch. The day came. Blondine at 5.15 in the afternoon with crowds enthralled of his bravery. It took him 17 minutes to cross, less to come back. Then he comes back and he carries his manager across on his back. His manager must have been drunk, <laughs> right? Now, the story is that as he did this, he did increasingly crazy thing. Well, you start crazy. You know, I don't, I don't know where you go from there. You know, how, I mean, you start nuts and go crazy. Anyway, he, he actually goes across and stops at one point on one leg and, and puts his leg down. And at and, and another point, he takes a wheelbarrow across. And people are clapping. Now, this is where the story gets a little out. But the idea was everybody was listening and watching and saying, it's great. And he says, how many of you think I can do this? And the, the, the story went... And he said, how many think I can put a person in this wheelbarrow? And they'd, already seen him, they'd already seen him go across. How many believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across with somebody? At, yeah. And he said, you get in. <laughs> no. Now, see, that might be a little bit of the difference between believing and what? Trusting. That takes trust. Not just believing in the concept that I believe you can do that. I've watched you do it. I've seen you do it. I'm going to put myself in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to put myself in a way that is, if you will, uh, under your care. They said there were no takers. <laughs> a lot of clappers, a lot of yellers, no takers to go across. So what is faith? What, what does faith look like? It looks like this in some ways. It trusts. I said last week, and I, I, want, to, I want to hit a point, uh, more, give more detail to it. I want to suggest to you that trust or faith always has or is, is always object sensitive. Whenever you see the word faith in the New Testament, it's always believe in Jesus. Believe in God. I talked about that last week. I'm not going to go on it. You can listen to it again. But the object of your faith is the critical issue, not how much. There are people that have boatloads of faith 
in unreliable objects. And their faith won't make any difference at all. Their faith will disappoint them because the object of their faith is unreliable. Marty said this last week in his sermon. I, I uh, thought, you know, the word hope. The word hope. What do you hear that, that we hope in God? That sounds kind of tenuous, doesn't it? I've got students next week hoping they make an A. <laughs> I have news for them. Their faith is misplaced. <laughs> right? I mean, the way they've worked, the way they've gone through, the, I mean, they, there is the, the idea of hope. The idea of hope. I remember years ago, years ago, I was teaching on a Wednesday night here at church, and Don Manners, who died and passed away years ago, who was an attorney and kind of a, a thorn in my flesh. Right, Sheila? <laughs> More, yeah. Thorn in my flesh. No, Don was a great guy. He just liked to ask lots of questions. And one night, he said to me, we were, we were, we were discussing this matter about faith and hope and the object. And he said, you know, that idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory or the hope of eternal life. He said, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't give me much certainty. And he said to me, he said, now the word here, the word here is different the Greek word, than the word we usually think about hope. And I said, no, it's not, Don. It's the same word you would use. I said, I hope I win the lottery. Same word. I hope in Zeus. I hope I get well. Same word, only word in Greek. And I remember when he said that, I thought, I don't think I thought this through. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I'm standing there stalling. <laughs> thinking as fast as I can, because I know that, you know, I can't tell them there's another word that's used for hope. Hope in God, hope you get well. Hope in God, hope in Zeus. They're, they're, they're both the same words. There's no other term. And so I'm standing there and I said, well, Don, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm stall. I'm really, I'm serious. I'm thinking, I don't think I've thought this through carefully enough. And I turned in between right here and about there, I said this, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm in real trouble. Or I'm going to make something up. <laughs> you know? I mean, you got to do something. <laughs> uh, and between that and the board, it's just, I believe, the Spirit of God that said to me, it's always the object. It's always the object. The reason your hope in God is certain it's because the object is certain. The reason your faith and trust in God is certain is because the object's certain, reliable, dependable. Look, I know people, you may know people, they're taking their whole paycheck to go buy a lottery ticket because they read a book or saw a fortune cookie or had a dream, you know. Do they have lots of faith? I mean, they, they took their paycheck, right? That's a lot of faith, isn't it? What's the problem? The object. The object is unreliable. So that's why, that's why this issue about trust and faith and believe in Jesus, it isn't how much you have, it's in what you've placed your trust. Does that make sense? That's why we can say our hope in God is certain. Why? Because God is reliable. Our faith in Him and trust in Him is reliable. Why? Because He's reliable. It always comes down to the object. Always any expression 
of your faith. I had a student the other day say they were going to go home on a trip, like a thousand miles. And I said, how many miles your car got on it? They told me, I said, you're going to trust that thing? (laughs) You you know why I wouldn't? Because that object's not reliable. I wouldn't trust that car. So this idea of it always has to have the correct object. I said briefly, quickly, and I'll say this again. Because it has the right object, it always acts. We might even call that obeys. Belief, trust. You know, if God says, this is what you need to do, Cliff, if I'm embracing my creaturely status, I go, okay. I'll I'll do it. I don't understand it. I may not even like it. But but I'm going to obey. Uh, you, I gave you this reference last week. It's, it's Romans 1, 5 in Romans 16, 26. John 3, 36. And James 2, 26. Uh, yes, Romans 1, 5. Romans 16, 26. John 3, 36. And James 2, 26. This, this is interesting because the Bible or the New Testament never divorces faith from obedience. Luther said, basically, if you believe, you obey. And if you obey, you believe. You know, it's pretty much like that. I, I uh, you know, if you, if you, so, but you know, here's the third thing that I talk, this is where I really want to get, because I think I was a bit, um, I don't know if the word's unfair, but uh, uh, imprecise. I said that uh, often uh, uh, in the New Testament that, um, that the faith is often, not always, I put on the outline, often contrary to our feelings often contrary to our feelings. And um, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think I went a little too far on that. Um, and Second Corinthians 5, 7 is sort of a, 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 a resounding verse when it says, for we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And, and the idea that, that we don't walk by what we can see or what we sometimes can sense or what we can detect or, or understand that, that sometimes, really, often faith is the opposite of what we feel. Uh, and, and I want to I talk about that a little bit. Um, one, of the, one of the things, uh, I try to illustrate it this way. Uh, some years ago, a guy named uh, Max Dupree, maybe some of you read it, um, wrote a book called Leadership Jazz. Leader, Leadership Jazz. It was a bestseller on the New York bestseller. It's a great book on leadership. Uh, highly recommend. And he said, the number one role of a leader is to define reality for an organization or for a family or for an individual. The, the number one role or practice of a leader is to define reality. You know, organizations get into denial, don't they? You know, I, I mean, I know churches that that are on their way down the slide, and they say, well, you know, the reason we're small is because we're just, we, we've got standards. No, you're mean. <laughs> I told him for a minute that day, he told me something their church believed. I said, you're lying. He said, no, it's true. I said, you're kidding. You know, you know they get into denial. Well, you know, the reason we're small because we're godly. Yeah, maybe. Um, organizations get into denial. Companies get into denial, don't they? You know, like we're not going to face the fact that the digital world's changing this. We're not going to get into the, to the, to the reality. This is what's happening, folks. <laughs> you know, um, I, I realize, you know, in my teaching, uh, one of the things that I've had to face, and, and the reality is, is I am no, and it hurts my feelings, I am no longer the source of all information. <laughs> it's really sad. I hate Google. 
I mean, man, I'm telling you, if you as a professor think, hey, shut up and listen to me, you're, boy, it's going to be tough for you. Because the reality is, is I need to engage them digitally. They're, they're, they're digital, we call digital natives. They grew up with digital stuff. They, they, that's the way they live. So, so what I'm saying is that, that sometimes um, what we can do if we're not careful is that we don't face reality. And, and as a consequence, sometimes we need to embrace our creaturely status to say, God, help me to not be in denial about matters and help me to be able to embrace what's true. Now, let's say this. Feelings are a part of how God created us. We all got them, right? We all got them. And so we cannot deny or reject a part of us that is powerful. A part of us that God has given for us to feel empathy, for us to feel compassion, for us to feel sorrow. That's the way we're wired. And I, and I felt like I talked to one person. I did some more thinking. I, I tried to say this, but I didn't get it out last week. I, I'm not saying that we reject them. I, I'm try, I want to try to navigate something here. That faith sometimes has to be contrary to our feelings. But I want you to work this way with me. Here, I want to ask you to consider this. How are we going to do this in belief? Number one is consult your feelings. I got, there's a book on here I'm, I'm going to recommend for you if you want to uh, read it. Uh, it's later in, on the outline there. Uh, it's called A Simple Prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. A Simple Prayer. And uh, this is a book I read some time ago. And... Um, uh, it, it's about uh, a way of praying that uses the practices of St. Ignatius of Loyola, a uh, Roman Catholic uh, a saint um, uh, uh, that, that, that had a prayer practice that in many ways, um, Ignatius said that one of the ways to enrich your prayer time is to consult. What am I feeling? Instead of denying them, saying they're no count, don't do anything with them, forget them, to say, what are my feelings telling me? Now, let me give you some con consultation questions here. Don't be afraid of feelings. They are what they are. The spiritual practices here of Ignatius of Loyola are ways to consult your feelings and to employ them for spiritual progress. I read this book about a year and a half ago, and it was very helpful. Uh, sometimes I get on a rant and I go a little too far, and I thought, okay, Cliff, you've got to pull back, and I appreciate some of you that made a couple of comments here. Um, I got your name. I know who you are. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, think about this. If your feelings are giving you trouble in your walk with Jesus of trust, ask this question. What are my feelings telling me about my expectations? See, sometimes our feelings are the result of unmet expectations. Somebody told us that if we follow Jesus, this would happen. And it didn't. You know? Uh, I, I, remember, um, I remember George Scram said he should be our worship leader years ago. After the Oklahoma City bombing, he said there was a song, and I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry, I can't pull it up here. But um, he said that for about three or four years, he couldn't sing this song that had... This line, in you, your arms, little children are safe. 
can't remember the name of that song, but he said he couldn't sing it um, because so many children had been killed. And, and so often, sometimes our expectations of God, and I'm going to talk about that in that fourth question because I've got a, got a great passage I want to look at. Sometimes our feelings are telling us, hey, wake up. Your expectations need some adjustment here. You may have to change them. Um, you, you may have to say, I've got some expectations that I don't know that there's any, real, any reliable resource for this. I mean, we've all been told a bunch of phony, baloney, good time rock and roll, haven't we? I mean, I heard people say, you know, if you come to Jesus, you know, you'll have joy. Really? There was a while there for a while that wasn't happening. And, and so maybe our feeling, don't, don't fight him or, or run from him and say, is the reason I feel this way because I've got some expectations that I've held long in my heart that I might need to take a look at and say, wait a minute, maybe these aren't true. Does that make sense? Second, second. Related to that, <clears throat> excuse me. What are my feelings telling me about my beliefs? What, what, are, what are my feelings telling me about my beliefs? This again is related to expectations. I've got beliefs and ideas. I've picked up somewhere. I've just kind of taken them and not asked any questions about it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not consulted or I've not discussed things. My beliefs, I just kind of swallowed them. I, you know, I kind of I believe the idea I heard as a kid growing up. I was told my belief was that if you're a Christian, you won't be depressed. Anybody hear that? Yeah, you, you go read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I dare you. Here's what Paul said. We don't want you to be ignorant about the things that happened to us in Asia. For we were pressed out of our own strength, that we despaired of life. Does that sound like depression to you? Now remember, this is the Apostle Paul, right? Who never had any problems. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I heard that all my life until I started reading the Bible. I'm telling you, the Bible will mess your faith up. <laughs> it start messing you up. <clears throat> okay? So, so, so the idea I heard, you know, maybe, maybe your feelings are because there's an erroneous belief that you've been carrying. Just lean into it and say, is this true? Is this really true? Now, maybe I need to look into this or talk to somebody. But sometimes our feelings that are so contrary are because we have these belief systems that have never been challenged. I got a few friends I love. I, I tell them, I say, you're so mean. You always ask questions. You know, quit asking questions. Just listen to me. Did anybody grow up in church like that? I did. <clears throat> you know, it was a sin to ask a question, right? But maybe your beliefs. Marcus Aurelius always said, well, I mean, he always said, I read him when he's like four jillion years ago. But really said that your, 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 your feelings are the result of your thinking. Bruner, uh, William Bruner, who taught at Harvard, said this. You're more likely to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. You're more likely to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. You know what you need to do? What that means? Here's this. Look, you don't feel close to God? Start to saying you are. I am his child. I am loved by him. I am close to him. 
He's right here. I believe His Word. I trust what He said. Quit trying to feel your way into a new way of acting and start act your way into a new way of feeling. See? Your beliefs. What do you believe? Instead of, I, I mean, I've been doing that going to work. I, I sing sometimes by myself when I'm in the car, you know, so nobody else can be offended by it. I'm singing stuff and I'm saying, you know, I don't feel that, but you know what? I'm going to sing it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. I don't care. I'm going to do it. So now here's another one. Here's another one. I got to hurry. You know, I'm not doing that. That's a lie. This other one. Here's another, here's another consultation question. What are my feelings? Now listen to me. Listen to me. What are my feelings telling me about my life management? I'm going, to get, I'm going to start meddling right here, okay? What are, what are my feelings telling me about my life management? Students will come to me and sometimes, really, about, about the eighth or ninth week, it's like predictable. It's called midterm. And they came to school in August because Jesus, you know, showed up in their living room and told them to go to school. I mean, they have all these incredible experiences. And, I, and I, God bless them. You know, wow, you know, the Lord told me to go to school and blah, blah, blah. Well, about the eighth week, the Lord told us to tell him to go to junior college now and get a degree in welding. You know why? They feel bad. Their sense of God's presence is gone. Now say to them, okay, okay, okay. Before we talk about how you've committed the unpardonable sin, and they'll say that, you know, I think I've committed, you know, God's left me, all that, and I just told, hold, hold, like Braveheart, hold, don't say it, Cliff, don't say it. I'll say this. Here's what I want you to do. We're not going to talk about this today. I want you for the next two days to find a way to sleep 12 hours a night. Two nights in a row. Okay? I want you to get 12 hours of sleep. And then I want you to eat food. <laughs> not fast food. Not junk food. Real food. Something's got to be green. And that's not mold. <laughs> it's got to be green. It's got to be green. Okay? I want you... Sometimes I'll say, I want you to... For the next three or four days, for 30 minutes, I want you to walk and exercise. Come see me and let's see if that's still there. If it is, we'll talk about it. You know what? A lot of times it's not there anymore. All of a sudden, things have got back to balance. Listen, some of us don't feel the presence of God because of the way we live our lives. It's life management. Now, here's where I'm going to meddle. If you're not sleeping, if you're not eating... Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Exercise. Now go see your doctor. Thoughts and opinions. This teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions. Cross community church. It's elders or leadership. Go see your doctor. Don't, don't run out. Start running a marathon. I don't want anybody, to get, want anybody to die this week. You know. Uh, talk to, but, but there's lots and lots of research that indicates your feelings can get really adjusted by exercise. Those endorphins, that, 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 that melatonin that gets really... Some people, they feel far from God because of just the way they're living. Doesn't have any spiritual peace to it at all. 
What are these feelings telling me about my health? Do I need to go see a doctor? Is there, I mean, there could be something biologically wrong with me. You know, something. I, I found out I have some medical reserve. I'm going to the doctor every day this week. <laughs> Just go talk to him. But, you know, is it telling me something about my health? All, all I'm saying is this. Don't be driven by your faith, but consult them. Don't fight them. Just say, God, is there something here about the way I've grown up with my expectations about how life was supposed to be that isn't true? Is there something here about, about my belief system that's out of whack that you need to help me confront and deal with and face? Is there something about the way I'm managing my life that I need to get my arms around and get with? Is there something here I need to do? Don't fight him. I, mean, I, I think I've told you that, you know, one night I was praying a little real crazy because y'all scare me, you know, and I was trying to get ready for Sunday school on a Saturday night. But I've not done that very often, but I did a few times. And, uh, you know, I'm praying, oh, man, I'm grinding, uh, uh, uh. you know, I'm really praying, Lord, I need your spirit, I need your help, help me with this passage, I know the people that, you know, anyway, and uh, I'm fighting in my soul, my spirit, as I'm praying, you know, sometimes I see people, I think they're in a spiritual coma when they're praying, you know, they're not fighting at all, <laughs> I was fighting. And, and I had a sense from the Lord to say this to me. Okay, Cliff, go to bed. And I thought, well, why is that? Well, it's 10 o'clock, but, you know. Here, he said, uh, you're trying to use prayer to change your feelings. You feel scared. You feel nervous. You don't feel my presence close. So you're trying to use prayer to change your feelings. Now, let me say this as kindly as I can, because in my study and research over the years, addictions are whatever we do to try to change our feelings. It could be drugs, alcohol, shopping, work, you name it. But when we're trying to change our feelings, instead of consult them, and allow them to tell us something maybe God needs to tell us. So here's the second thing. Here's the other one. Check your feelings. Check them. Oh, man, I want to show you a verse here I love. Check your feelings. Um, I got a friend here. I hope Dave, are you ready? I'm, I'm, hold on here. I, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I love airplanes. Dave Harmon's a pilot. I'm to ask him to come up here in a minute and talk to you about it. Uh, we're going to all take a trip. No, <laughs> Yeah, Dave, can you work that out? <laughs> um, I love airplanes, and um, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by them. And I always uh, noted, I, I'm a little bit, not anymore, but I used to be a nervous flyer. I'm, I'm kind of nervous about everything, actually. You know. But I love airplanes, and, and, and when I, you know, uh, I, I love them. And, and when I'm on them, I'm noticing everything going on. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm hearing all the beep, 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 beep you know, all the buttons and things they're pushing and, and uh, cross-check. Remember that? Remember that one that the says, cross-check complete? I don't know what that means, but I like it. Um, and, and, and when you're on the plane, when I get ready to get off, I want to hug the pilot. I've read a lot about aviation. I'm not going to try to scare you, but I've read a lot about it. So I'm really interested, in, and, I'm, and, and they're, they're doing all this check-in, and, they're, they're doing all this, and, and Dave told me this. Uh, every leg of a flight, they do pre-check. They check the fuel. Thank you. Um, flaps set. Here's one I didn't know about. 
When they, you, you ever notice they rev one engine up and then bring it down? And then another one, I'm thinking they're just making sure they're working. You know, you ever, remember us old guys, we had the car had a miss in it. What we do is rev, whoop, there it is. I can feel it. There it is. Bring it down. Dave told me that's not what they're doing at all. What they're doing is they're finding out when they rev that engine up. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. Here we go. Where'd I put it? It's a rudder deflection. You knew that. What they're checking is when that power goes up on one engine to a certain point, he should feel something down his feet that the rudder kicks in, that that tells him that if we start taking off and we lose an engine, the rudder will correct and we won't crash. So next time you fly, that's what's happening. Okay? Thank you. See, I'm a full-service teacher. I give you all kinds of information. Spiritual, travel, you name it. Hey, listen, you know, when a plane goes, takes off, if, if you lost an engine and that rudder didn't deflect, whichever way that engine is, it's pulling you there, right? You don't want that. So this idea of checking. Now, I want you to go turn your Bibles real quick. Dave, we may get this done. We'll see. Go to Psalm. Go to Psalms. One of my favorite ones about checking your feelings. Psalms. It's in my Bible here somewhere in the middle. Here we go. I'll find it in here on the table. Now, five, six. Go to chapter 31. Chapter 31. Um, David, writing here, you know, had lots of issues, had lots of things going on in his life. But checking his feelings, kind of like a pilot does before they, before they take off. Notice here in Psalm 31, I'm gonna ha- I got to start reading at 19. It says, how great is your goodness, which you stored up for those who fear you which you've wrought to those who take refuge in you. Behold, behold, before the sons of men, you hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of men. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord. He has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in the besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off. Before your eyes. What's David feeling? Depressed. He said what? In his alarm? What's that? His fear? His anxiety? He said what? What? I, what did he say? I'm cut off from your eyes. I love the next word in the American Standard. I don't know how ESV. What's, what's the next word? Nevertheless. You heard the voice of my supplication when I cried to you. I love nevertheless. You know what I felt? Cut off. Guess what? Wasn't. (laughs) Felt it. Sensed it. Thought it was me. I'm cut off. I'm in a besieged city. I'm toast. I'm done. But you know what? You heard me anyway. That's one of my life verses. That this idea of feelings, nevertheless, I've got to check them. I've got to make sure that when I'm feeling something, if I consult them and go through the question and say, okay, now let me check them here. Is it telling me the truth? They're telling me the truth. Let me, another Psalm real quick. 42. You ought to underline this one. 42. In Psalm 42, <clears throat> verse 5. This again is to check them. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul, and why are you disturbed? With, why are you disturbed within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, for He is the help of His presence. Uh, this is a verse. Uh, Marty, maybe a month ago, talked about a book I'd recommended to him, and I re it's on the list again today. Spiritual Depression. And David Martin Lowe-Jones comments on this verse when he says this. Look what the psalmist is doing. Why are you cast down, O my sorrow? Why are you in despair? And why have you become disturbing? Hope in God. Here's what Lloyd-Jones says. Our problem with our feelings is this. We listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. We listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. That's what the psalmist is doing. Why, why are you cast down? Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God, who is the strength of your life. And this idea of checking them, checking them, checking them. Your feelings can lie to you. Your feelings can tell you something completely in error. But it feels true. That's why we check them. Dave, come on up here if you would, please. Dave Harmon. This is Dave Harmon. Dave's a pilot of a jet. Uh, and he and I have talked at different times, and I, I, I just asked him, I said, Dave, would you be willing for me to ask you a couple of questions and like this? And he said yes, because he couldn't say no at that point. So he flies a, flies a jet twin engine. Yes, a, a small jet for a business here in yeah. Oklahoma City. And, and you're a um, first, cap, first, first captain? Or for, what? Captain. Captain. Oh, not first, just captain. The first officer is the guy that sits to the right of me. Oh, he's your helper. Co-pilot. Okay. Probably didn't want to hear that, helper. But, uh, he is a helper. That's right. Dave, tell us a little bit about what they did to you in the, in the simulator when you went out, when you got the IFR rating about the... Yeah, sure. Well, there's probably several pilots in the room, and everybody's heard the, the, the terminology and the phraseology about uh, trusting your instruments. And, uh, and that's what we, we get taught uh, in our initial training uh, uh, back in uh, the Air Force 100 years ago. And, and now, even in the civilian world, we get, we get taught about uh, trusting our instruments. And it's absolutely true. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like our walk with the Lord, too, that uh, it, it, the Bible is certainly where we ground ourselves when our feelings run us awry and uh, and and in the airplane as many of you know and have heard that's exactly how it works even an experienced pilot uh with over 10,000 hours we we continually rely on those instruments because as you lift that nose wheel off the ground as you're rotating on a dark snowy night coming out of Chicago what you saw that was real in front of you that that nice runway now that landing light lifts, and you can no longer see the runway, and you're on your own. And, and we get trained all the time in the simulator. They will do all sorts of malfunctions and failures to try to get us. Tell them a little bit about the feel when I ask you. I ask them about the, I have some friends that are pilots, and they say when they feel like they're level or they're flying, they're actually climbing and turning to the right. Talk a little bit about we talked about. Sure. Your sure. So there's lots of distractions and, and lots of things that can let you think that you might be uh, straight and level, and you're actually not straight and level. And uh, those, and the inner ear will mess with you, and the strobe lights flashing on the wing, and, and the cloud decks, and all that other stuff. They'll all throw you off. But of course, we get trained to come right back to our instruments, and we don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you get a feeling, do you trust the feeling or the instrument? We absolutely don't. In fact, we don't even have to think that we're trusting our instruments. We just—it's just automatic. 
and that's eventually how we want to uh, live our lives where we automatically yeah. know that we're we're probably not going to be right we need to trust the instruments for sure great yep. you, you bet you bet all right give dave a hand here they're uh that, that whole plan where they are trained, because he would tell you whenever he got his IFR rating, they block out all the windows and put a hood over you. You can't see out the windows. You're listening to the control tower, and they say, turn 45 degrees and go 300 feet and stop. And they take that plane off, fly it, and land it, and can't see a thing out of that plane. Who are they trusting their instruments? There's a phrase that air, air, aircraft used to have called flying by the seat of your pants. You ever hear that? You know where that comes from? In World War I, planes became part of warfare and aviation. And they had a stick and a motor. <laughs> About it. Maybe an altimeter. And what they discovered was, because when you're with the seat strap and the shoulder strap, you're pretty well tightened in there. And as Dave said, when that nose lifts, there's no horizon. Something happens to the inner ear. You can't tell if you're right side up. or So they found a bunch of planes crashed in the mountains upside down. They discovered that pilots thought they were right side up, but they had gotten inverted. Here's what they said. So here's what you do as a pilot in World War I. Because you're so strapped in, you put your hand between your rear end and the seat. And if there is space, you're upside down. <laughs> And if there isn't, you're good to go. <laughs> That's flying by the seat of your pants. That, that idea. So that it's the battle, if you will. The battle is for us, if you will, with our feelings, to trust the instrument. And Dave is exactly right. This is it. To trust it. To say, you know, I know my feelings tell me. But I'm going to trust the instrument. I, I felt like David said, I felt like I was cut off. But I'm not. My, the reality is that God's presence and power is with us and for us as we trust him, regardless of how we feel. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't think about your feelings. So what do we do? Two verses real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 to 5. Paul says this. Although we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. For the, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. To the tearing down of strongholds. Listen to this kind of language now. To the tearing down of strongholds, Casting down vain imaginations. Casting down vain imaginations. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's warfare language. You know where the war is? Between your ears. Where the battle is, is between your ears. Like Dave said, another pilot said, you know, I think I'm level. No, you're climbing and turning to the right. And there's a, I know enough about geometry. There's a point you're going to be in trouble. I have another friend that when he's flying, he thinks he's level. He feels it. His inner ear is telling him he's descending. 
You can only do that so long you get reintroduced to the ground. Our weapons aren't carnal. They're tearing down strongholds and vain imaginations. Taking every thought, what? Captive. That's what it means. Put it in jail. Until it's obedient to Jesus. That's another life verse, man. To take hold of my thought life and replace it with what Jesus said. Second one. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Paul's great statement there. I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Now, look, if he said that, it must mean, this from East Texas now, it ain't. <laughs> right? Your mind is not renewed automatically, it's a process. It's an activity. It's, a, it's, a, it's an action to say, renewing your mind. I tell you, I've told this before, and I mean this. I grew up in the church. I'm thankful for some of that. But I've spent a lot of my life unlearning a bunch of junk that I was told that was more religiosity and churchianity than the gospel. I spent a lot of my life that way. And so the idea of renewing your mind, bringing it to newness. So here, here, here's, here's what I'm, I'm saying. Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Don't think just because you think it or you feel it, it's true. It might be. If you consult it, if you check it, then it might be. But to just live in our lives where we're driven and manipulated by that to me is not helpful. Well, we didn't get as far as I thought. Now, I really want to look, look down here on these uh, resources. <clears throat> if you want a book, <clears throat> again, I say, you'd like, to, you'd like to get involved in or some of this about how to check your feelings in prayer and make them productive or, or not, make, not make your feelings, make the experience productive to say, God, what, are, what, what can I learn from this? That's that simple life-changing prayer. I recommend to everybody I've ever known, Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It is an absolute classic. It was, it was first published in 1980, and it's still being printed. Does that tell you something? It's meeting a need. We've got it in our bookstore. You can get it. Another book, Feeling Good. This is not a Christian book, but it's by David Burns. He's a cognitive therapist who basically says, the principle is this, your feelings are the result of your thinking. Your feelings are the result of your thinking. If you want a good book that really addresses some real practical ways of dealing with this, Feeling Good is a fantastic... I read it in seminary 30-something years ago. David Burns. B-U-R-N. I just put his last name, but David Burns. He's a Ph.D. out of a University of Pennsylvania. The last one, this is a hard one, but it's a great book if you, if you, you know, have a year or two. <laughs> Uh, Re Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. You know, Sinners in the Hands of Anger, God guy. Uh, but it's a really good book. It's a really, but it's deep, it's thick, and it's hard to read. Uh, but so I'd, I'd channel that down. But, but let me say again by this, that part of embracing our creaturely status is not being driven by our feelings. Trusting in Jesus. So here's the application. 
after this. I'm ahead of myself. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. You see, let me fill it in for you here. I'm a guy, I just keep clicking. Y'all know that, ladies? Y'all know that when you were at the television? <clears throat> what if this week you can, <clears throat> here we go. What if you this week consult some area of feeling with the consult questions? What does this tell me about my expectations? What does this tell me about my beliefs? What does this tell me about my life management? And see what God does. Just ask him, what, what's this telling me? Or you check your feelings with what God's word says about a particular feeling. This is true. You know, I feel deserted. Is, is that true? Is God going to desert you? No. I, 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 I feel like I'm worthless. Is that true? No, I'm creating the image of God. Can't be worthless. Well, I, I, I feel unnecessary. That's not true. God called you into fellowship. Check it. Consult it and check it. Now, next week on your outline there, you can see I get the week off because I... The next thing when we talk about belief, embracing our creaturely status, trust, dependence, to believe, believe what? In the gospel. Next week, we're going to talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? What do I believe about it? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. We are thankful for this capacity to feel, uh, the joy that it brings, sometimes the sorrow that it helps us to connect with other people because we feel their pain. Help us to learn how to trust you by consulting and checking this part of being created in your image. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.